Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 John in chapter number 2. The book of 1 John and chapter number 2. We're going through this important book of 1 John. Someone said that there are 11 different foundational or books of the Bible that all the rest of the Bible builds upon. And 1 John is one of those foundational books. It is one of those foundational books that helps a brand new Christian grow. And as the brand new Christian enters into the brand new Christian life, they look around and they want to know, how do I live? How do I be pleasing to God? What are the things that, that are a part of it? The book of 1 John answers those questions and helps build a solid foundation for every Christian. And so whether you're a new Christian or whether you've been saved for many, many moons, the book of 1 John is very important. And it can be a reminder to us or teach you something brand new about the Christian life and how we're supposed to live it. If you wouldn't mind, notice with me in the book of 1 John in chapter number 2. The book of 1 John chapter number 2, and if you wouldn't mind, look with me starting at verse number 7. The book of 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 7, notice what the word of God says. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even unto now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whether he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in 1 John chapter number 2? 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 8, the very last phrase, the true light now shineth. The true light now shineth. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach to you that message, the true light now shineth. The true light now shineth. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for you being a wonderful God. And as we approach this time now, I'm asking that you would set things in order, that you would put things in its place, that you would help open our eyes that if there's any darkness, if there's any selfishness, if there's any places that we don't see clearly, let tonight be a night that you shine your light upon our lives and let us reflect on ourselves properly. Let us obey the commandment that you've given us. Help us to live pleasing unto you in our daily personal fellowship with you. 
I'm asking that you would give me the words to say, that you would be with me, that you would be very, very clear in, the, in your word. I'm asking that you would help every single one of us walk in the true light. Thank you for making it available. Fill me with your precious spirit that you would guide me in a special way. Once again, we ask and pray and, and sincerely insist that you get your own work accomplished through your precious word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Once again, verse number eight says, Again I say unto you, I write unto you, or again a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. We've already built a foundation about the Christian life that when you get saved, meaning you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your life to give you forgiveness of sins because you owed him a debt and you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. When you asked Jesus and you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. And now you have a war that's raging within you. And you've probably, it didn't take long for you to realize there's a war. And the war is between the self-life and the Christ-honoring life. That yourself, your flesh is wicked and nasty and moreover than anything else is selfish. That's why we talk about self. It is self-centered. It wants to please itself. It thinks about nothing but itself. It doesn't care about anyone else. It doesn't care about anything else except making its own self happy. And so the war is raging between the self-life and the Christ-honoring life. With that in mind, knowing that there's a war going on, the first thing I'd like to show you in this passage is the commandment. The commandment. Notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, in verse number 7. Verse number 7, it says, brethren. So when it says brethren in the Bible, it's addressing other Christians. So the audience that is being addressed is Christians. He's not talking to lost people. He's talking to Christians. He says, brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. So John is writing. He's 90 years old. He's going back and he's recounting. He said, hey, I don't have a new commandment to you. I have an old commandment. I just want to remind you, if I could take a, a slight pause, you know a lot of things in the Christian life you don't need to be taught. You just need to be reminded of. That we already know what we're supposed to do. Just sometimes we just need reminding what we're supposed to do. But the Christian life, there's no new thing really. You know what you're supposed to do. You know that you're supposed to be pleasing to God. But we just need reminders of it. And John's saying, hey, I'm not telling you something new. I'm not giving a great revelation. I'm not saying here's something that no one's ever seen before. He says, I'm telling you something that has happened from the very beginning. Now, what is this beginning? It's from the beginning of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. If you wouldn't mind, let's see what Jesus himself says about this new commandment. What is this new commandment? Notice, first of all, in John 13, we're coming back to 1 John. So if you want to mark your place somehow, but we're coming back to there. But notice with me, John 13. John 13, and let's see what Jesus himself, what is this commandment that Jesus Christ gave? John 13, so in the gospel record of John, and notice with me in verse number 34. 
John 13, 34, notice this. A new commandment I give unto you. Now notice this is red letter. If you have a red letter Bible, it's red. It means Jesus is speaking it. Now John is saying, I'm not giving you a, a new commandment. I'm giving you an old commandment, which was given to the beginning. Jesus is back when he's walking on earth. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Now what is this new commandment? A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I loved you, and that ye also love one another. By this, all men. Notice that word all. By this, all men <coughs> know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Jesus saying, let me give you a commandment here. That you love one another. And the love that you have towards one another will let all men know that you're a follower of Christ. Do you know what should mark the life of every Christian? Selflessness. Instead of selfishness, selflessness. You know how we can show and prove to the world that we're followers of Christ? We die to what we want and we try to help others. We put others before us. We try to please others. We try to look out how can we help others? How can we be pleasing to them? How can we help them? How can we point them to the Savior? Notice this. This is what Jesus said. This is a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. That you love one another. Notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, two chapters over. John 15. John 15. Notice what he says in John 15 in verse number 9. John 15 in verse number 9. Jesus is still speaking to his disciples. John 15 verse 9. As the Father hath have loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you that your joy might be full. And this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No, greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not giving you something I haven't already done. Jesus says, I came to this earth to die for you. I, you know, Jesus went through such horrible suffering and shame and hardship. You know, he didn't have to. He didn't have to at all. He is God. They didn't put him up on the cross. They didn't keep him on the cross. His love kept him on the cross. And he said, now what I expect you to do is what I did. Give yourself to others. Give yourself to others. Love others more than yourself. Love others. And he says, you prove your love to me if you keep my commandments. You prove that love to me. And he says, by the way, if you prove this love and you keep my commandments and you love others, guess what? I call you friends. He says, I want to be your friend. And you can be your, my friend by proving your love. Dying yourself and loving others. Loving others. Do you know this is what Jesus has given us to do in this world is to love others more than ourselves. To love others so that all men might know that we're followers of Christ. There should be something different about us.
We all know that the world looks out for itself. They don't even make deals with anyone else unless they get a benefit. What do I get out of it? Christians should be something different. You should love people whether you get anything from them or not. You should go out of your way to love on people because we live in a heartbroken, hurting world. You know, we're in a church and we're a small church, but I guarantee there are times that you ask people, how are you doing? And they put a fake smile on their face and they say, I'm fine and everything's not fine. And you know what? We don't want to hear anything else other than I'm fine because we don't want to hear their problems. We got my own problems. I don't want to hear what you've got going on. And we're selfish instead of selfless. We don't love others. We don't treat others. We're worried about ourselves. Well, I got this going on and I got this going on and I got this going on. And we're all concerned about ourselves and we're not caring for one another. Notice Another passage, if you wouldn't mind. All of this deals with love and light, that the true light now shineth. Notice with me 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to, to, <coughs> to be selfless instead of selfish. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. And notice with me in verse number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, notice what the Bible says. Therefore seeing we have this ministry, we have received mercy, we faint not. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of Christ, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know what God has given us to do? He's given us to be light because we live in a dark world. Do you know that light can be seen from very... Uh, far distances if we were to turn off all the lights in this building it's dark outside now and I was to put a candle or a lighter do you know that you can see that light from the whole building it may not be enough to illuminate everything but you can see the light in the midst of the darkness God has sent us to be the light in this dark world kind of like that old song we teach the children right this little light of mine I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. 
Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. You know what we're supposed to do? We are supposed to let our light shine. Why and how? By loving others more than ourselves. Now, that builds a solid foundation. Turn back with me, if you wouldn't mind, to 1 John in chapter number 2. We see, first of all, a commandment. That Jesus gave us a commandment, and that was to love others. That was to care for others. That if we're truly going to let the light shine, we have a commandment to love others. To not be selfish, but selfless. Now, when we say words like love one another... If we don't define our terms, everyone can nod their head and say, yeah, 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 I can do that. Well, let's define our terms. Often when we define our terms, we go, oops, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter number 2. Notice with me in verse 7 again. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment. You know, we see that word commandment. You know, with a commandment, it's not a suggestion. It's not an opinion. You either obey or disobey a commandment. There's no middle ground. You are either obeying Christ or not obeying Christ. You said, but preacher, you don't understand. I said, no, the Bible is very clear. You are either obeying or disobeying. You're either selfish or selfless. You cannot be both. You cannot be both. Notice as it goes on. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you. Notice this. A new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and, and in you. You said, well, wait a second. You said no new commandment. No. He said, I'm going to remind you again of this new commandment. It's the new life in Christ. You know how you prove you're a Christian? By being different. And so the new commandment is once again you love one another. It's new because it's not of the old nature. It's new because it's a new way to behave that you're not used to behaving before. I want to bring you to the second thing, the cost. We showed first of all the commandment. The second thing is the cost. Notice again in verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. Do you know that if this commandment was easy, everyone would do it? <laughs> but there's a cost to this commandment. There is a cost in this commandment, and there's an evidence of the new life because of this cost. If you don't mind, turn back to me. We're going to come back to 1 John, but look back with me, if you wouldn't mind, in the book, gospel record of Luke in chapter number 10. The gospel record of Luke in chapter number 10. Stay with me now, okay? Lord, give grace, give understanding. Let them have great discernment. Luke chapter number 10. And if you wouldn't mind, let's see what Jesus talks about when we see this cost, this cost. Notice with me in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 25. We're going to start there for context sake. Luke 10, 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What? 
is written in the law. How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and, and thy neighbor as thyself. What the lawyer did in verse 27 is he wrapped up the Ten Commandments into two statements. You could take all the Ten Commandments and come up with two thesis statements. Love the Lord thy God with everything you got and then love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two commandments that wrap up the entire Ten Commandments. In fact, they wrap up the whole 613 commandments that are given in the Old Testament law. That's a lot. That's why we refer it down to the ten because we can't even keep the ten, much less the 613. But if we were to wrap it up, the first commandment, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, with all thy soul. The second greatest commandment is to love thy neighbor as thyself. You know what Jesus is doing? He's just reminding us of that great commandment to love others more than ourselves. Notice if you wouldn't mind in verse 28, he goes on. And he said unto them, thou hast answered right. Jesus said, that's a great answer. That's the correct answer. This do and thou shalt live. Now this lawyer stands up and says, I want eternal life. I want to earn my way to heaven. Jesus said, they keep all the commandments. What are the commandments? He says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and love thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus said, that's the right answer. Now do it. And the, neighbor, and the lawyer was smart. He was trying to look for a loophole. He was saying, all right, love my neighbor as myself. Well, let's define our terms. He was trying to define our terms. Notice what he does to justify himself, verse 29. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That's a good question. If we're going to say you're supposed to love others than yourself, well, who are we supposed to love? Notice, if you wouldn't mind, verse 30. Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him, departing, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came a certain priest by the way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto them, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was the neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, He that showeth mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, Go and do thy likewise. So who is our neighbor? Well, Jesus gives an illustration. He says there's a certain guy who's walking on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. And as he was going through, some thieves jumped out and they beat him up. They robbed him and put him in the side of the ditch. First came a priest. Now the priest is the religious sect of, of the Jewish people. He's supposed to be the one who does all the rituals. He's supposed to be the uh, one who knows all the, the uh, secret words. And he was supposed to be the example of holy living. And this man who's supposed to be the example of holy living, he walks by and sees the guy in the ditch. Maybe he kind of looks and, you know, like everyone uh, turns their neck, get rubbernecking and just kind of looking and 
that's a horrible accident. Oh, that's horrible. But it said he went on the other side of the road. He went on the very far so the guy couldn't even see him pass by and kind of walked around him and took off. This is the guy who's supposed to be the standard of religious living. Next comes the Levite. The Levite's supposed to be the one entrusted with the word of God. This is the guy who knows the Bible. So the first guy is the religious guy supposed to be the example of righteous living. The second guy is the guy who reads and studies his Bible. And he comes and sees the guy. And he also walks on the other side and kind of gets around him. Don't see me. Don't look. Don't look. And he walks around and leaves the guy bleeding. So the religious person who's supposed to look right, he didn't do what he was supposed to. The guy who studied his Bible, oh, I knew, know so much about the Bible, but he walked past him. The next came the Samaritan. The Samaritans are hated by the Jewish people. They have such a rivalry that they don't have dealings. But the Samaritan, even though he was, there was a prejudice there, even though there was issues between them, he went by... He bound up the guy's wounds, meaning he used his own supplies to bandage him up. Then he put the guy on his own beast, and the guy walked on the road. The road between um, Jerusalem and Jericho is 30 miles. We don't know where he stopped at, but he takes him on his beast, and what he does... Bound up his wounds, poured oil and wine. Those aren't just necessarily cheap things. These are very expensive things. He put oil and wine to get rid of the infection. And he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So this guy put him on his own beast. He actually lifted him up. He went out of his way and stopped by an inn. At the inn, he bought the guy a room. He put him in a bed. He bound up his wounds. When he left, he paid the innkeeper and said, hey, take care of him. And when I come back, I'll take care of any remainder debt. You see, there's a cost for loving people. That's why we don't do it, because we are so selfish. We don't like the cost. We don't like the cost. You know, sometimes it may not cost us money. It may cost us something more precious in our eyes, time. Oh, I don't want to spend time talking to so-and-so. I don't want to talk to so-and-so. Do you know that the people that criticize us the most are the people that we need to love on the most? The people that you say, well, I just don't get along with them. You love them anyways. You care for them. You show that you're a Christian by loving those you don't get along with. Those people that you may think is a know-it-all. I just can't stand being around them because they just know it all. Well, I don't like being around that person because they just have such a drab personality. It's just boring to hang around them. Well, I don't like to hang around this person over here because our personalities clash. Well, I don't like this person because this person's cross-eyed, this person. And we come up with different ways. We're supposed to love on them. It doesn't matter what the excuse. There is a cost for loving people. And sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's finances. Sometimes it's inconvenience to us. But you know what? We're so selfish, we don't want to be inconvenienced. We're so selfish, we don't want to bear someone else's problems. Well, I got enough of my own. You don't understand. I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to handle this. You know what we're doing is that we're not obeying Jesus' commandment. 
by not loving on others. People need loved on. They need attention. They need care. If you're going to love someone, it's not going to be done in words. It's going to be done in deeds. That's exactly how it's going to be done is in deeds. Talk is cheap. It's when you actually do something that it matters. You know, there's no substitute for time spent with a new convert. When someone needs sa newly saved, it's a brand new world. They need loved on. There needs to be time. And sometimes it requires lots of time to love on someone. And you say, but they'll never do anything for me. I know. When Jesus died on the cross, there was nothing we could have done to repay him. But he died for us anyways, and he showed us love. It cost him something. You know what that's, that's what true love is? Is a love that cost you something. Do you know when I stood in an altar and I said, wilt out to my wife and she wilted and we got married? I said I was going to love her. You know when I said I loved her? It wasn't saying I'm always going to have a fuzzy feeling that when I look at you, my insides melt and I go, ooh. When I said I loved her at an altar, what I did is I made a pledge that I was going to take care of her in action. In good times and bad, sickness and health, all of those things, whether I was rich or whether I was poor, I was making a commitment to take care of her at the expense of myself. That's what love is. That's what love is. Love is something that costs. Words are cheap. And if you're to love one another, if you're going to love others, you have to die to yourself. Die to your pleasures. Die to what you want. You're going to have to be inconvenienced in order to love on people. And remember, once again, I'm sorry to make it so simple. You're either obeying or disobeying because it's a commandment. I showed you the commandment. I showed you a cost. But I want to show you a third thing, and that's the consequence. That's a consequence. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, back in 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter 2, there's a consequence. Notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, in verse number 9. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother in, is in darkness even unto now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Here it's given a contrast. You know that if you love your brother and you're serving your brother and you're not selfish, the Bible says there's no occasion of stumbling. Meaning in your Christian life, there's not going to be something that trips you up. Do you know what trips us up in our Christian life? Selfishness. Think about your Bible reading. You know why you don't read your Bible? Because you're selfish. I don't want to. You know why you don't go soul winning and pass out tracts? Because you're selfish and I don't want to. You know why you don't pray? Because I don't want to. People do what they want to do. If you haven't learned that already, that's a Bible principle. You do what you want to do. You'll find time for the things you want to do. But if you are selfish and you're dead to self and you're serving others, the Bible says there's none occasion of stumbling. Meaning you're not going to trip up. You're not going to fail. You're not going to mess up in your Christian life when you die to self 
and serve others and serve Christ and obey this commandment. There is none occasion of stumbling in him. But, notice this word but, it means there's a switch. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knowing not whether he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. If you are self-absorbed and self-centered on your own ambitions, your own desires, your own comforts, you know, you might not even realize you're in darkness. You're just paying attention to yourself. You haven't even realized you left the light. You're just looking at yourself, looking at yourself. And you can get into so much darkness. You know that parents can get so self-absorbed, they don't even notice their own children making unspiritual decisions. Do you know you don't have to be 20 years old to make a spiritual decision? Do you know that you don't have to be a teenager to make spiritual decision? Do you know that you could be a young child and decide that you don't care what everyone else says? I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to read my Bible. I don't care about this church thing. I'll go because I have to. But there's no desire whatsoever of things. And parents don't see it in their own children. I've been amazed for the last several years watching some kids and their parents. And the parents are so selfish and they're such in darkness, they don't, they're blinded to where their children are going until their child starts breaking their heart. And that's only the tip of the iceberg of where they're headed. There is no, I'm sorry, I'm taking a little detour, but there is no, no, no excuse for a child ever being disrespectful to their parent, ever. And you know what that's evidence of? That's evidence that they've already made some spiritual decisions in the wrong way. And it needs to be fixed. It needs to be taken care of. I, I've sat with parents crying and pleading with them. And they, they are saying, after I talk to them and I show them what the Bible says, and I tell them how they can fix and course correct, they walk out of the office and they say, I think we'll go see some other counselor. And I watch as that child hits their... I can't imagine a 10-year-old hitting their mother and their mother standing for it and say, oh, it's fine, it's fine. No, it is not. It is not fine. What I'm trying to say is that people can get so selfish they miss out in their kids. Kids can get so selfish that they don't realize that they're walking away from the Lord. That people are in darkness. And if you get so self-absorbed, you might think, I'm fine, I'm fine. And you're not fine. You're heading through a dark path that is going to have consequences that are going to, that's going to break your heart and the hearts of others around you. How do you stop this? By loving one another. By picking the Christ-honoring life rather than the self-life. You have to choose. You can only serve one master. It can either be Christ or you. You cannot serve both. You see, life is like a circle. And in that circle, there's a throne room. Only one seat. And either King Jesus is sitting in that seat and you're at his feet or you're sitting at the throne and he's at your feet. There's only room in your life for one master. And it's either going to be you or it's going to be Christ. And if it is you, 
you're heading into darkness. You've rejected and said, no, I don't care about Christ. You are disobeying a commandment that is leading you into darkness. If you ever want to study someone who had the light and had the light of God on them, and then because he hated his brother, turned into darkness, do a study on King Saul. King Saul in the Old Testament was the first king of the United Kingdom. He was a man who was head and shoulders above everyone else. What that meant is that his shoulders is where most people's head was at. He was that tall. He was buff. He was handsome. He had it all. He had control of the armies. He had victories. He had a man who was a man after God's own heart who was willing to serve his king and do whatever he asked. But King Saul got selfish and jealous over David. And the man, David, was his best friend. His, David was looking out for Saul. Even when Saul was trying to kill him, David was still looking out for Saul. Twice he had the occasion of killing Saul. And twice he said, Saul, I can't do it. I can't touch you. You're still the master. You're still the king. You're still in charge. David gave up his freedoms. He was living in caves. He had to send his parents to a different country. Probably the last time he ever saw them is when he was waving goodbye to his parents and as they were going to Moab to, to, to hide. He was living in the caves near the Salt Sea. And Saul, who once had the hand of God upon him, Saul, who once had, had Samuel the prophet work with him because of jealousy and other things in his life, hated David. He couldn't even stand the thought of David. He almost killed his own son because his son just said, David, and he threw a javelin and barely missed his son because he hated David. How did Saul end up? Saul ended up where he couldn't hear the voice of God. He pleaded for God, but he refused to repent. He had to go to a witch of Endor, and he died the next day because he had this darkness. He was selfish. He didn't care for others. He just wanted for himself. Over and over, you see this selfishness. And he ended up in darkness. And by the way, if you continue in a selfish path, you could end up in darkness as well. You'll end up in places you never expected to be. Sin will cost you more than you wanted to pay and take you a lot further than you ever wanted to go. What we're trying to say is the choice is simple. It's a commandment to love others or to love yourself. To walk in the light as he is in the light, to walk with Jesus, to be with him. Or to go your own way away from Christ into the darkness and go into the consequences and let your kids suffer, let your family suffer, let yourself suffer through the consequences that you have. There's a commandment that we're to love one another. There's a cost and it costs us something to pay. It has cost us something to love on others. We can be inconvenienced, it can be our time, but there's a cost in loving someone else. But if we do not, there's a consequence. And it brings us into darkness. And that darkness is somewhere you don't want to be. The Bible does give you hope, though, that if you love others, you love Christ, obey that commandment, there is none occasion, occasion of stumbling in thee. 
That's what I want. I want to walk in a well-lit path that I can see where I'm at. Have you ever tried to make your way into a house that has kids and the kids didn't clean up and you, in the darkness, step on Legos and cars and marbles and whatever else? Do you know that if you're traveling in the light, you could see what's there? It's when you're traveling in the darkness that you stumble and fall and you hit things that you, you wouldn't have done if you were walking in the light. There's a consequence. So as we hit this idea of walking in the light, that the true light now shineth. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not in darkness, meaning that God has given you a lit path. It is your choice to walk in the lit path or to walk in the darkness. It is your choice. Where are you going to walk? The true light now shineth. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.